0: This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. As you know, listeners, I'm your host, Montana Funk. Today, civil rights attorney, public policy expert, and author of Advice to Thrive By, Portia Allen Kyle, joins me to discuss what it is like to seek a career in public interest and advice for how to stand out during the application process. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, Portia. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're very, very excited to have you on. And you know what? I kind of just want to jump right into it today, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. So obviously, public service is extremely important to you. And I think that it's important for our listeners, for you to just define public service, because I think there's a lot of, not necessarily confusion, but there's so many different things That can be explained for what public service is. So to you, if you can just tell our listeners briefly a better explanation for them so that when they listen, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think both the confusion and the beauty is that it is everything. Like no matter what aspect of law you might be interested in practicing, you can do it in pursuit of the public Interest, right, and like, and in pursuit of something greater than any one particular corporation, one particular firm, one particular client, in the ways in which we typically talk. But working in the public interest and kind of doing public service is about deploying skills for the greater good. And I think that that is one of the things that, like, that as an attorney, we are uniquely situated to deploy our skills across venues, across settings. For the greater good, and you know, society really relies on us, and you know, we should step into that duty with ease and and with grace to fulfill that expectation.
0: Absolutely, I think that's a really good point you made. Because as lawyers, we do have that ability, and that's kind of something that we're really lucky that we can use our career for the greater good. And I really like the way that you phrase that. And I think, I mean, I currently am a public defender, so. Nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I recently actually switched out of civil defense. I used to do civil defense for a private firm. And then I switched to criminal defense with public defenders. And exactly like what you said, it's just, it's really cool to see what we can use our career to do. And like, the fact that there's people out there who don't necessarily have anyone, and we can be those people for them, we can be their person. So I guess for me, I mean, something that's always curious that I'm curious about is why you got interested in public service.
1: It is important to me to just leave this world a better place than when I got here. And like that has meant a number of different things in, you know, terms of my practice and career um, in the public interest. But what I've really been, you know, as I've moved through my career and like really been thinking about what the what is the impact I want to have, like what do I want to be true by virtue of like me having done it or spent my time doing it. One of the things that's so important is just building the bench. (laughs) And that's, you know, both, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this, what inspired me to, you know, write the book, but also in terms of mission and service, you know, it will do no one any good if there's no one to come behind us. And, you know, one of the gaps in being able to achieve the outcomes in terms of like good, better things we want to see in the world, you know, whether that is justice or equality on whatever issue that it is, a lot of that, relies on that there is someone to come behind us to pick up the baton and carry it forward. And just what I have seen is that it is not always the case and, you know, it is not always clear how people can come into this role and work in the public interest and deploy their skills for good. And so have wanted to try to fill that gap.
0: You say it's not always clear for people, you know, to follow in our footsteps or come behind and actually engage in the public interest or find a career in public interest. Is there a way that you think that that could be more clear or, I guess, you know, steps that you think that, you know, we as people who are in this sector can take or even people who are just maybe interested and don't know about it? How do you think we can make it so that there are more people who, you know, come behind us and and get involved?
1: Whew. Um, you know, I think there's the big picture like,
0: <laughs> yeah. answer to that,
1: right? Like, you know, as, um, and I, I can answer this question on a number of different levels, whether it is like the role of media and creating this like <laughs> perception across society as to what law is and that's mostly focused on criminal and like mostly focused on, you know, um, or extremely corporate, <laughs> like, you know, big law type portrayals of what the profession is and what the profession can do. And, you know, again, like thinking macro level, then like the role of law schools and like letting students know that law goes beyond, it's its beyond, you know, your, your kind of black letter law courses, right? Like it is yeah. so much more than that. And how are, how are we meaningfully connecting? And also to, you know, stop calling people who engage in more innovative practices of law (laughs) non-practicing, as if, like, you know, they're not using their skills for, for good and for public interest. And, you know, that is especially important as we're thinking about policy. But it shouldn't just be, you know, the kind of if you know, you know, like we have an obligation to let people know and to inform them. And that's both on us as practitioners on, you know, law school's responsible for educating us and, you know, setting us, uh, giving us the tools <laughs> on the pathway to, to career access and to, and to broader impact. And and all of it works together.
0: <laughs> I agree. And it's it's funny you say that because I mean, I think about law school, right? Because a lot of our listeners are, you know, young lawyers, people coming out of law school. And it's not really touched on a lot in law school. It's not really a topic. And even I think in like general society, I still have clients, which I think everyone probably experiences this in my role, who are like, so when do I actually speak to a real attorney? Or like, thanks for your help, but like a real attorney would be great. And I'm like, oh, so funny thing. I actually am a real attorney. And like, people don't know that, right? Like you just, because you don't talk about it. Right. And, you know, and that
1: no matter what what the issue is, there is probably an attorney from kind of policy to outcome to like when things go wrong that has had a hand on something that is impacting the issue that people are going through. And so better trained attorneys can perhaps lead to better law that is, you know, more just, less harmful (laughs) on from things raising from, you know, Agricultural or like food regulations, like all the way down to, you know, the things that we do experience, whether it is, you know, criminal law or evictions or whatever it is. Like there is practice on all of those things in the public interest and better trained attorneys. You know, we lose a lot of people because people don't know about the opportunities. And then we lose a lot of people in the training itself that doesn't bolster and, you know, and nurture those interests into the career stage to, to allow people to bloom and take off.
0: And I think I want to talk about, and this is a good segue, to talk about people who are interested, right? People who want to get involved, who want a public interest job, who want to really explore that those opportunities. They might not know how to or, you know, how to start. And I obviously, every job starts with a cover letter and a resume. And I think it's really important for these types of jobs, your cover letter is going to be different than it's going to be for a big law firm, right? Or, you know. position with, like you said, energy law or agriculture. So what do you think makes someone stand out in a cover letter? And I ask that specifically because you always hear people say like, oh, you just, sometimes I just change the name of the firm I'm applying for, right? No. Such terrible advice. (laughs) Yeah, like absolutely not. I mean, I hate to be the person to say this, but every attorney who looks at that is going to know that that is like your canon cover letter. So how would you tell people if they want to stand out in their cover letter, what would be your advice to them? I
1: mean the the first uh, bit of advice is that if you have an opportunity to write a cover letter, write the cover letter. Don't be, you know, one of those people <laughs> and and you hear it sometimes, right? Like, oh, no one reads cover letters. Yes, in the public interest sector, yes they do, absolutely. And when they do read it, they want to read something more than I want to help people. <laughs> And they want to read something more than, I've been so privileged, I want to spread my privilege. Like, there ju- there should just be a bit more substance than that. And so the way to, you know, stand out is to be very clear <laughs> in terms of what your kind of mission is. Like, how are you thinking about the 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 thing you want to accomplish with your career, how it relates to the opportunity that you're applying for, what you bring to the table and how that can help you like grow and develop. And the more you can tie those things into a story and into a short story, (laughs) a short story (laughs) and a quick narrative. um, But it it does involve some clear eyed visioning and focus that begins with you knowing what you want other than to get a job.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think very, correct point, that it's not a long story. I mean, it doesn't need to be 20 pages. Yes.
1: Like one is fine and not the entirety of one. There should be white space on your cover letter the same way there should be white space on your resume.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that that's super important. And I, that, I think that's a good segue into resume building. And I want to talk about that. First, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We'll jump right into resume building. Be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and one hundred percent online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as ten minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier. So they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is. And that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com.
1: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's s t a f f y.cc and get $500 off with code HAPPY24.
0: All right, and we're back. And Portia, before we left for break, we were talking about cover letters and you know what's important to stand out in a cover letter and you know, resume building and something I want to address before we get into the resumes is you had mentioned that in your cover letter you kind of want to paint a story, right? Paint a story for the job rather than just say, I want to help or this interests me. Are there certain opportunities or extracurriculars that you think that young lawyers can do and get involved with that would help them have a stronger cover letter? Oh, So it is interesting and like, it's
1: going to sound so cliche, but part of the reason why I was committed to writing and like putting things into the book is you get advice from all sorts of places and it doesn't always come together as a cogent strategy. So for example, someone may say like, do what you love. And like, yes, absolutely do what you love. I think anything you are passionate about is a good activity that can be translated to a resume, (laughs) right? Like, But it's also about, to to the point of being kind of clear-eyed, your resume is giving the foundation and the basis for, you know, how you are being effectively judged as to whether you would be successful as a job, whether you would be likable as a colleague, whether you would, you know, be a value add to the organization and, like, all of these different things. You must give people enough information to use it for... Let's not say those purposes are all correct and valid, but like <laughs> it, it. But that for for better or for worse, that is how people are using a resume. It's a judge of personality. It's a judge of you know competency. It's a judge of like character and dedication. And particularly for mission driven organizations, if you are you know coming in saying that you are you know passionate about like helping people who've experienced domestic violence, an activity that you know bolsters. That or, you know, shows that, like, you know, you've been volunteering in, you know, shelters or with professional development programs targeted at certain demographics or populations, all of those activities, even if they're not related to law, build that story and bolster, you know, your perspective and what you may bring to the table for an organization whose mission is to, you know, improve the outcomes, sticking with the DV example, like, but improve, you know, the outcomes of the lives of people who've experienced domestic violence. The converse of that is what is also very noticeable very quickly is when you have a lot of things on a resume that you're not passionate about, that you haven't really been involved in. There is no evidence of, you know, anything other than like I signed the sheet for membership that when that ends up on a resume and like that can drag your candidacy down just as much as can you know bolster it, because the people who were in leadership roles, you know, in these organizations that you know maybe even once they've graduated have a, have connections or ties or an affinity for a particular organization, people tend to hone into things that feel familiar to them or that they're like, oh, you know, my friend did this or I did this, and I was editor of this journal or you know whatever it is. And if you can't speak to that when you get to the interview phase, it shouldn't be on a resume.
0: No, exactly. You don't want to have like law women's caucus leader or like something. And then they're like, tell us about that. And you were like, you know, they had like good meatballs at one of the meetings. And like, you know, nothing, right? Because you just absolutely nothing. (laughs) Went there for the one food meeting. And we're like, I'm putting this on my resume. I think that's super important. And I mean, with that, with putting things on your resume that don't actually, I guess, define what you've done, or maybe something that you've like, dipped your toes in, but didn't actually participate in, is there anything else you see in either cover letters or resumes that you're like, absolutely no, no, do not do this? So
1: what, I don't know if I, if I see absolute no-nos. The only thing that I'd say is probably absolute, especially if you're a law student, there is zero, I mean, zero, uh, with very few exceptions, but zero reason to go beyond a page. And like that, Is true, I would say, generally, until you're about 10 years down the line into substantive experience. You just, I know we all like to think that, like, we have done all the things, and like, because you've done so many things and you've felt the burnout for years, there should be other venues to validate those feelings. (laughs) Your resume is not necessarily the place because your audience is not yourself, it is your target employer. And from, you know, the perspective of, okay, what have you accomplished? And this is supposed to like capture the highlights. It is oftentimes that like you just haven't accomplished enough for that much real estate (laughs) on a sheet of paper, which translates into more time, you know, well, possibly translates into more time, you know, being spent and making it a little bit harder on a reviewer to really get a sense of who you are and what you bring to the table as a candidate. That being said, The relationship between your resume and cover letter also matters. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to do a cover letter, take it, run with it. But your cover letter should bring your resume to life. It shouldn't, it should illustrate what is happening in, you know, a more compelling narrative based way. It's not a substitute and it shouldn't parrot what is on your resume because that is a waste of the opportunity that you have before you to really make an impression.
0: So maybe include some of the stuff that you would want to put in your resume that would make it two pages. Maybe put that in your cover letter if it still helps and not include it. Right. Okay. And that's I think that's really important because sometimes you are going to have people who were actually involved in a lot of things in law school and a lot of things that were applicable, but they don't need to put you know, exactly what's in their cover letter in the resume of the body is what you're saying, essentially. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a super, a super good point. It probably will help some people who are sitting here, you know, listening, saying, but I did do this and I did do that. And I, I did go to Law Women's Caucus for more than just the meatballs. Like, what? I want to put this somewhere. Put it in your cover letter. And that's letter. all important. But, you know, it's,
1: it's where, right? And so there and each stage of the job process has a purpose and your goal in each stage is to simply achieve the purpose to get yourself to the next stage <laughs> trying to do too much can like be as disastrous as like doing too little right and like not enough and it's walking that line and that balance and you know moving from like you know doing the resume now you're like cover letter maybe now you have an interview like what's your role in the interview you're continuing to bring the life and tell the narrative and you know of the experience you're leaving the impression doing the kind of soft skills things there it's all related and all important but you
0: can't do it all at once no exactly you're honestly beating me to the point you're doing you're hosting this yourself you're killing it because <laughs> i was going to ask you next if you make it to the interview process i mean that's kind of like make or break, right? You're at the last step. So what do you think that people can do to stand out when you're, especially when you're getting interviewed, maybe and there's like five to like 20 other candidates, right? Like there's, it can be a wide array. How do you stand out from those other candidates who already did have as good of resumes as you and did have as good of cover letters?
1: Yeah. And I'm I was giggling a little bit at last step just because there is such a trend or I don't know, at least I've I've seen and kind of observed that the interviews phase is longer and longer. <laughs> it like used to be maybe one interview, two max. And now sometimes it's here, do a screening, then like a panel, then like another panel now meet with leadership. <laughs>
0: like Yeah, that happened at mine. I was like, wow, it's like a full morning of interviews after the two <laughs> initial <laughs> interviews.
1: Right. And so like what just want to prepare. <laughs> like, yes, it is common if there are multiple interviews on the steps yes. for for those who are listening. But but it is, you know, representative of this kind of like final phase and you get there and you, number one, need to like look competent and that you can do the job. And that's a combination of like presentation and being able to speak to the things that are, like, on your resume. So, like, part of the don't add extraneous things to the resume is make it easier on yourself when you get to the interview (laughs) that someone who, you know, we all know those people who, like, don't do the reading in advance and, like, show up. Like, interviewers are sometimes the same way, right? But, right, like, who will show up to the interview be skimming and something will catch their eye and, like, you don't want it to be the most, like, the thing you can't speak to (laughs) that catches their eye on the page. And it might be right like maybe it's the interesting is sometimes people put like and my interests are I don't like interests on resumes but I understand why law schools <laughs> say do that but you want to be able to speak as your like best brand ambassador <laughs> to all of the things you bring to the table And being able to hone in on what it is you bring to the table and how it is a value add to the organization, how they, you know, maybe don't have it or need more of it or whatever it is. But being able to relate and translate not just what you've done in the past, but what you can do in the future. And to talk about that as much as you talk about, I think the like worst thing to do in the interview is to get there and say, Working here would be so good for me. Like, it would look so good on my resume. Like, I need this experience. Like, you need, in some vague terms, you need someone like me. And this, it happens. And it is, like, it, it's terrible. But, like, I think we've, like, all sat through those interviews where you're like, what
0: is this? You just told me that I'm your resume builder? Like, What? and
1: like this is obviously the, you know like and it might be the obvious next step in a career trajectory for you to work in a place such as the opportunity you're applying for one would hope that that's why you're applying right like and so like that's a logical conclusion but you shouldn't say that <laughs> like that's Gosh. you know not the way to to convey and so you want to get through the process um especially for mission driven organizations and you know Organizations and places that that care about the world, or at least say they do. Like you want to be able to come, talk to them in their language, know your audience, and what it is that they're looking for, and you know what it is that they're trying to achieve, and really be able to kind of tailor your pitch to that.
0: And I, you know, you always hear people say, like in interviews, ask them questions, like ask the interviewee or interviewer, sorry, questions, and then you, I, I've heard actually a couple people in response to that be like, well, I don't want to be like rude or come off cocky by asking questions of my interviewer. But what do you like, what would your response be if someone thinks that? It is as much an
1: interview for, and, It's a balance. Right. So if you're a law student and you're interviewing for an internship, for example, perhaps 10 minutes of questions (laughs) interrogating, you know, things about the organization from the budget to the strategic plan is like not an appropriate use of time for that. Right. But but the questions you want to ask an employer or a target opportunity like a fellowship committee or, you know, whatever it is, it should be, you know, related to and in proportion what your role is and your day-to-day might be. And so if it's like only three months, like, yeah, maybe ask questions about, you know, what, what the day-to-day looks like, what the approach to training for early career attorneys, you know, and law students looks like, you know, ask questions that, that relate to what you're going to do. And as you move forward, or if it's for your first job, for example, perhaps then you want to ask more questions about the work-life balance. Like work-life balance for a three-month position probably shouldn't be a question that comes like interview level, but for a one-year, you know, two-year fellowship for, you know, a long-term position, you know, maybe that's a more appropriate question there. And it's not cocky. What I would say on the flip side that I have seen happen is people who have been hired where an employer, you know, in an organization has... Invested and like gotten excited about a candidate that didn't ask the right questions to determine whether it would be a fit for them and actually aligned with where they see their career going and where they see themselves in the moment, and then coming in and quitting and like that is disastrous for, in a number of different ways, but also somewhat of a bridge burner and something that like if you can an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure if you could you know prevent that at the outset with some good tailored questions to determine for you is this where I want to be? Does it align with my values? Do I see myself growing here? Like, it, it's always better to ask the questions.
0: Yeah. And I, I hate to do this to you. I'm going to ask you kind of a loaded question. And it's, I know you're going to be like, oh, gosh, how do I answer this? But I have to. Once you're in a public interest career, and this, this is where the loaded part comes, what would be your advice to people once they're actually there, they've got the job in order to, you know, do the best that they can for themselves. And like you said, like the good for others, right? And also make sure that they're kind of paving a path for people who want to follow in their footsteps. Ooh. (laughs) I know, I knew it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so (laughs) having spent some time in transportation, like now I'm using all these like transportation analogies, but there is something to the oxygen mask (laughs) like first and that a lot of work for better or for worse, a lot of public interest work is hard and it's hard because like as a society we have not done the best at protecting people e- like and allowing people equitable access to even the opportunity to be protected and to be you know kind of taken care of and to excel and so you you do sometimes not that it not that it's all doom and gloom but if you are someone who cares about people seeing people having to live through injustice is like just not an easy thing, no matter what, whether it's credit (laughs) decisions and, you know, predatory lending or, you know, the, the, the harms, you know, of the criminal legal system like that. It never gets easier no matter what the topic is. And so you have to take care of yourself. And that could look like a number of different things. (laughs) Like it is making, it, it could be making time to read a book, get a massage, talk to friends, see family, find a new hobby whatever that is. But then once you kind of have that and figure figure out how to take care of yourself so that you can last and go the distance in the work, you have to hold the door open for people who are coming up behind you. And that looks different in different ways. Like it could be, you know, yourself serving on, you know, serving as a mentor. It could be and yes, mentorship is important, but like also as we are like acquiring higher level skills, hopefully we are thinking about deploying higher level skills, like for the greater good, both like, well, I am thinking about that in service of, um, you know, both the profession and the world writ large, but making sure that there are opportunities and that the door stays open. And so that, that means kind of giving the tips and tricks. If you can, don't be the person who, This might date me on when I went to law school, but, like, don't be the person that rips out the relevant page for the, like, LRW exercise from the book in the library. Like, don't be that guy. And we know that those people are among us, but, like, be the person who's like, (laughs) hey, here, like, let's compare notes. Let's, you know, talk through things, troubleshoot. Like, send me a resume. Let me give you some feedback. Can I introduce you to this person, like, you know, how can I help you, friend? Can I serve on your board? Can I, like, give advice? Can this and that? And it doesn't mean you're doing everything all the time for everybody. There's a discernment that, you know, is required. But whatever way in which you creatively decide to give back and lift up and hold the door open, I think there's an obligation to hold the door open.
0: No, I think it's a really good point too that you have to take care of yourself, and I think that's if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of other people. And like you said, with the oxygen mask and the airplane analogy, right? Like if you don't help yourself, you can't help other people. And I think in jobs, you know, public interest jobs, there's a lot of sadness that you see, and there's a lot of things that are shocking. And day to day, you're seeing just like so so much sadness. And but there are those good stories, right? And there are those success stories. And I think you know, coming from public defender's office, focusing on those success stories. And like you said, maybe, you know, taking the good and then going and doing something for your, for your own good also helps you then spread the good for others. And I mean, yeah, I mean, those are all really good examples that you're giving. And I think that that's just really important for our listeners is that be good to other people and I mean, take care of yourself, but also make sure that you're making sure other people are being taken care of as well.
1: And it looks different in all ways it looks are like necessary and needed.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I think that that's, that's all really, really helpful. And I, I'm going to give you an easy last question. Okay. got it So I, I mean, this has all been so insightful and I do really think our listeners are going to take away so much from this. Cause I mean, you know, when you want to go into a career, like maybe what you want to do or like how to get there and how to dress, but you don't necessarily know the things about like, how do I make a successful cover letter? Or, you know, you have to, but you don't know what it's going to make you like, what's going to make you stand out. Right. So I think that's important. I know that you obviously just wrote a book and I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where to find you, your book, just in general for, you know, those listeners who want maybe a little bit more than just this podcast can give them.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the book is called Advice to Thrive By. And I was excited about the title. I, You know, it may sound a little corny, but like I was excited about the title because I, I, I truly just believe that there is a difference between surviving and thriving. And sometimes like, and especially amongst Lawyers and sometimes the culture of law school is to like, if you are going to be helpful, give people enough information that they like do okay or get passed or that you can feel helpful, but not so that they will do better than you. I wanted to distill advice from everywhere into a tangible strategy, something that is coherent, that is straightforward, that you can implement and see how it all comes together to ensure that you thrive throughout your career. And so what I want to prevent, like, you know, I I mentioned earlier, like, knowing the impact you want to have. And I sometimes think in these statements, like, what do I want to be true by virtue of my having done it? Well, by writing this book, what I want to prevent is, you know, people who are genuinely interested and looking to launch a public interest career going through the motions without truly blossoming and and launching into, like, what is possible career-wise simply because they didn't have the tools or no one told them, you know, the the inside track to how to be successful in here. And so the the goal was to counteract or at least supplement, like counteract the bad advice, but like supplement all of the generic career advice that we often give and receive as lawyers that is more appropriate for private practice. And sometimes really just most appropriate for like corporate or big law settings, but not translatable to the very other many things that lawyers do. And one big gap is work in the public interest. And so by beginning to address this gap, I mean, I hope people find the book helpful in doing this. It is available on the ABA website. (laughs) It's always good to be a member. It's always cheaper when you are a member. But It's available on the ABA website. You could also, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Portia Allen Kyle. I believe I am one of the only Portia Allen Kyles out there in the world. Um, But just in case, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. um, It's Miss Portia. And always, please, it may seem random, but if you do have a question or want to reach out, I, you know, strongly believe in holding the door open. And so if someone is so inspired to reach out, I yeah, I may be slow, but I will respond.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Portia. Like I said, this has been more than helpful. And I think it's such an important thing for people just to, to know, like you said, outside of what you learn in law school, there's so much more to know and, you know, so many more tips that you can get besides what the limited stuff that you do get in those three years at law school. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> Good. Thanks.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to sit down and talk with Julie. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org slash join. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software?
2: Hey, Julie. Hi, Montana. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about Taylor Swift today. Oh, we got some
0: Swifties maybe listening. Is that that what she calls them, Swifties? I don't know. I'm not the biggest Taylor Swift fan. Don't come at me, listeners. I uh, like some of her music, but I just don't know what they call Swifties,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I used to listen to her a lot more in high school and early college, but not really recently. But Same. What a superstar. She is. She does seem to get herself into a lot of lawsuits somehow, (laughs) which is okay. But she is being sued this time by Teresa Ladart. She is an author and a poet. And she designed the cover of this book of poetry Mm -hmm. called Lover in 2010. So she releases this book of poems. And so then fast forward to... I didn't even... Realize this, but I guess Taylor Swift's album in 2019, like you could get like a limited edition book with it, also. <laughs> and so, oh. uh, so Ladart is suing Swift because she claims that Taylor used the same color scheme, design, and the title of the book is also "Lover," and format, and basically copied her book design. Ladart claims there are several uh, number of creative elements, I think was her term, that are at issue here but oh gosh. sounds like pretty standard things like one of the things she cited was that Taylor also used pastel pink and blue on the cover and I'm like well in every nursery in this country like <laughs> I'm also looking it up right now because I was curious I just what I don't yeah, and I saw pictures of the <laughs> yeah. two side by side and yeah. they're not one is like a almost looks like a Polaroid picture and the other yeah. one's like Taylor
0: Swift's you know, artwork or whatever. Interesting. It's just basically the color schemes that are pretty similar. But like, I mean, like you said, I, I don't think anyone like owns the right to blue and pink, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not in media law. So maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some, some veracity behind this claim. I'm not sure, but that's interesting. Something here. And yeah. almost
2: 10 years later too, I think, because Landart's book was in yeah 2010 and then slift came out in 2019 but who knows could have been so we'll see there isn't i couldn't find an update on that one if i think the the articles that i was reading were pretty recent but we'll see we'll see and (laughs) her other lawsuit that she's still got going on right now and i remember reading about this like back in college which obviously we've been through law school so that was (laughs) a while ago but um the shake it off song from 2017 I guess this band 3LW, I'd never heard of them, but I do remember her getting sued over it. And they're claiming that she stole the lyrics from their Mm -hmm. play-is-gonna-play song. I do remember that. She just responded in August to their filed at motion and response in that lawsuit. So it's been... It has been going on for, oh, Taylor. the song came out in 2014, <laughs> but yes, yeah, since yeah, so like five years now, and oh, doesn't man. really. And she said she'd never heard the band before. Oh I never listened to them before <laughs> she wrote the song. So I'm like, I don't know how this turns out in the end, but I guess we'll, we'll keep see. you. Yes, we will keep you all up to date on that one. Oh goodness. well, thanks, Julie. All right. I think that's all for today. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time for Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. I'm your host, Julie Marrow. Well,
0: listeners, that's our show. I want to thank Portia for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I hope you gathered some awesome information about how you can stand out during the application process, whether it be from writing a good cover letter, resume, or actually carrying out the interview process. I think all the information provided by Portia has been extremely helpful and insightful. If you like what you heard today, please recommend our show to a friend. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Montana Funk, and you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising, brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network.